The heart of the story must reflect the telos and the purpose of the storyteller. And for most moderns, especially moderns these days telling stories on Netflix, there really is a true, true belief that life is just chaos. Life is atomistic. It's just things bouncing around randomly. Hello, and welcome to why, why are we talking about rabbits? Rabbits. People ask, well, John, why are you talking about rabbits? Because, you know, rabbits jump around and they reproduce quickly, much like uh, ideas on the internet. And so we, we're going to talk about things from, from the interwebs, but we're not going to get too, down, too far down the rabbit hole. Instead, we're going to use history, philosophy, theology, and First Things Foundation field workers who spend lots of time in faraway foreign places and allow all of that to inform the rabbits. These rhetorical ideas that pop around on the internet. That's us. That's First Things Foundation. I'm John Hears. This is Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? And this, well, this is an episode about the wonder of art. In this case, making film. In this case, making Ozark. That show, which if you haven't seen it, you might want to. And how that show is not exactly crime and punishment. On Watar. So, Andrew... You're out there. Uh, Andrew is our editor, and he's 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 the right-hand man. Sometimes he appears live, but mostly he's just out in the interweb. He's like caught in the matrix. Andrew, are you there? Are you safe? You're in Ufa in Russia because Andrew married Victoria, who is a Russian. And I keep trying to bring them on to talk about like the realities of Russia at this time, 2022. And they both have this look on their face when I ask them. And the look is something like, maybe you shouldn't ask us to do that right now, deep in the heart of Russia. Could cause us some problems. You know, it could. Especially with an American. With an American living in the heart of Russia. Like, how's that going to pan out? So, isn't that interesting? All around the world, people are trying to sort out what to do in light of these crazy 2022 world events. It is Memorial Day in America. I'm in South Carolina, and I want to talk to you about Ozark. First of all, yes, I'm going to ruin it. If, if you like the show and are not finished, do not listen further. But do come back, because I am going to ruin it. Two is I want to talk about Crime and Punishment, the novel by Fyodor Dostoevsky. So if you saw Ozark, it's a crime drama about like regular old white people. Again, I would say on this show, regular old light people. People built on this modern chassis called rationalism. People who get that they are the masters of their own fate because their mind allows them to, you know, avoid all the things other people get stuck in. They are modern, rational Westerners built on the chassis, basically built by Francis Bacon. If you've been listening to the show, you know Francis Bacon is, well, I don't know. He's not my favorite delicious salty food. He's not good to eat. 
and imbibe and live out. I don't think he's a healthy intaking. Don't take Francis Bacon into your heart. <laughs> you can, it can cause artery problems. But yeah, the birds, the people in the show, they're definitely have imbibed the full scientific worldview. And they are fixing stuff with their rational minds. So, well, the quick story is basically they get involved selling drugs in order to sort of fix up their marriage. It's hard to explain. And, well, they don't really sell drugs as much as they, they basically embezzle and they launder for people who sell drugs. And then eventually get involved with a cartel guy, Navarro, and eventually basically it ends up in quite a mess. And the mess you need to understand is, is they drag their whole family into their drug uh, laundering, money laundering world. There are two kids, Jonah and Charlotte, and they drag in all kinds of people from the Ozarks. They moved to Arkansas in order to do this event. And a lot of regular old Arkansans get dragged in too. So the, the show is about, you know, well... All the stuff that makes Ozark really good is the same stuff that makes Crime and Punishment good. There's, there's this brash, smug arrogance. There's desperation, right? There's idol worship in both of these stories. And if you don't know Crime and Punishment, we'll tell you a little bit about that too. We'll try not to ruin the end of Crime and Punishment. Uh, there's idol worship in both stories. And in, in this case, it's the family as idol. There's violence as fallen reality. Dostoevsky's good at violence. Ozark is exceptional at showing you a violent world. And then there's power as sort of the point of life. It's very clear that the writers of Ozark, if they're not expressly, expressly and intimately and intentionally trying to tell the story of Raskolnikov from Crime and Punishment, they're definitely around the edges and on purpose, not unlike Breaking Bad. It's a gorgeous retelling. And then it just takes a big giant But at least I think it does. And here's why it does that in a nutshell. Okay? For Jason Bateman, who's the actor, he's fantastic. He's Marty Burt. He's also a writer and a director on the show. He took like 131 million hours of my life and four seasons of Netflix, Space and Time, to tell you that life is about smug arrogance. Life is all about desperation. You should worship your family. Violence is what happens. And power is the point of life. Yeah. That's what the story is about is what the meaning is about. It's, it's so odd and simple, which is, you know what? Life is about smug arrogance, desperation, out of worship, violence, and power. And also, that's what the show is about. And goodbye. <laughs> it's like rock. This rock is brown. This rock has properties. The properties are sulfite. And then you go, well, what about the rock? What's important about the rock? The rock has, is granite. 
I know, but what what what's the significance? Rock is granite. This rock is hard. I know, but what's the sig? This rock is hard. That's sad. That these expert movie makers told us so much about life and then nothing. So let me tell you about crime and punishment for a second. Crime and punishment. If you look at it and read it, the story is about smug arrogance. Rest Kolnikov writes this tome of his called On Crime. Rest Kolnikov is the is the is the protagonist in in the book. And he writes this thing on crime in which he suggests that certain rare individuals, right, geniuses, have the right to step across legal or moral boundaries and to, right, set out to prove their idea. Smug arrogance, very much like the birds. Crime and punishment has desperation. There's a need in Raskolnikov's mind to protect his family no matter what, to save himself and his family no matter what, just like the birds. Crime and punishment, there's idol worship, right? Raskolnikov is literally, actively, intensely worshiping his idea. His idea that society can be made better if the fatty parts, if you don't like fatty, if the dirty parts are cut away. This is the whole eugenics movement. This is really the story of the 20th century. We can perfect it, right? Right? That's idol worship in crime and punishment. Raskolnikov is, loves to worship his idea. Violence as a fallen reality. There's an ugly murder. And then this sweet little innocent girl gets an axe to the forehead. Yeah, yikes. Talk about a well-written scene and sad and brutal. Not unlike Ozark. Man, they're good at telling this story. I highly recommend you watch it, or maybe not. I don't know yet. And finally, power is the point of life. I mean, Raskolnikov's story is all about taking what he sees as his, right? Because he can, because he has the genius to do so, right? Think Trump or Biden or me or you. (laughs) People do this. And Dostoevsky's telling us about it. He's telling the same story as Jason Bateman and the producers of Ozark. They're telling the story of fallen humanity, well, at least until the end. And if you pay attention to Ozark at the end, you'll see that most of the storytelling things, the themes in there, well, they're the outgrowth. They're the natural, hmm, they're the dross of the modern heart. You see, they can't help but tell the story. And end the story the way it does, because the heart of modern man in many ways, right, is that story. And that's the story of chaos. Let's just take a second for this little public service announcement from First Things. If you've ever thought about doing two things at once... Say, for example, you've thought about tying your shoe while also finishing your beer. Then you're the person for this announcement. Yes, it's you. Think about sponsoring this plug right here. And in so doing, make a donation to First Things. 
when you sponsor us and get the word out, you can also help us to get the love out and build small projects around the world. That is something I'd love for all of you to consider. On First Things, with First Things, and you know what? Working alongside First Things. Consider being a sponsor today. Back to the show. You see, the heart of the story must reflect the telos and the purpose of the storyteller. And for most moderns, especially moderns these days telling stories on Netflix, there really is a true, true belief that life is just chaos. Life is atomistic. It's just things bouncing around randomly. I mean, most everyone telling the story this, these days in Hollywood, or you pick the spot, these big productions, which, by the way, I love a, a well-told story. Hollywood is good at it, man. They've perfected the storytelling. The problem is their heart keeps overflowing into the story. And that heart is a heart of chaos. See, the, a modern heart is dominated by this crazy, crazy concept that atoms make up everything. And that they're sort of randomly organized. And they've come to some sort of, I don't know, evolutionary head where, uh, you know, a, a hippopotamus is what it is, is because of millions of years of random acts of development. And so what I'm trying to say is, is that modern heart keeps telling the story of chaos. And the story of chaos is the story of Nihil. Right? In the modern heart today is this dark principle that I'm the random collection of atoms colluding to do something like live for reasons that are unclear to me. And so Ozark ends randomly. Or, as I was saying earlier, it ends obviously. Hey, do you know I'm six foot tall and white? And I speak English in the 21st century in the American South. Oh, good. Tell me more. What's the point of your life? Well, it's because I'm six foot two. Almost. That's what happens. Ugh. So the milieu that we're talking about, what the writers are shooting for is a type of Greek tragedy, right? The Greek tragedy is where they're going for in Ozark. Now, I won't spoil it totally, but they do a good job of demonstrating how dark and deep the danger can go for a family that keeps making these smug, arrogant mistakes. That's all part of the Greek tragedy, right? They're all heading toward this sort of fate. And the fate's going to be sealed because the invisible world that we're all living in, the spiritual world, has its own rules. And so for the ancient Greek, the old world Greeks, all of the acts of, you know, Odysseus, they're going to end a certain way because Odysseus can't, can't beat the game, right? For the ancient Christians, Christ beats the game. Christ is not subject to the fate, to the rules. He breaks wide open those rules and then invites us all to the, to the order Right, which is proper for a human being, which is love, truth, beauty. And then you participate in those things, then guess what? You can't beat the game either. You'll be subsumed and consumed in the beauty of 
of Christ. So play the game according to reality, and you end in something like beauty, love, and truth. Well, that's the Christian story that takes off on the Greek tragedy story, which is both are saying the same thing. There are rules and form to the invisible world. But for Marty and Wendy and the birds and the people writing their story in Ozark, they don't believe this, whether they've actually written it, said it, right, decreed it in their own heart. They really don't believe this. And so how does the story end? Hmm. The story ends with the last of the innocent characters the last of the innocent characters, Jonah, their son, who has refused to recognize anything good about their dark life. Jonah, the, no, not totally innocent, but relatively innocent 16-year-old. Well, spoiler alert. He shoots the only person who's about to have the courage to out Wendy and Marty. The only slightly innocent character left in the show, if you like Brothers Karamazov, Dostoevsky, Alyosha, if you like in Crime and Punishment, Dostoevsky, then you will like, this is Sonia, the prostitute. The only slightly innocent character left, little Jonah Bird, he kills the cop about to expose his hateful parents. And you didn't see it coming. You couldn't see it coming because it was dissonant with spiritual reality. Like, Alyosha is not picking up a gun and shooting Father Zosimus, right? Sonia is not going to get a crowbar and whack Porphyry, the, the police chief, in Crime and Punishment. Sonia is what she's supposed to be and what exists in spiritual reality, right? She is the image of Christ. So, okay, so you might be saying, hey, dude, you're Pollyanna, man. Why are you being so Pollyanna? Like bad stuff happens. No kidding. That's the point. I get it already. But bad stuff happens in order that good stuff might be recognized. That's very Christian. That's very orthodox. Bad stuff happens so that good may be illumined. The problem is these cats in Ozark don't illumine the good. (laughs) The Greek tragedy ends by us just being told once again that power creates power and power right subverts innocence and power is the point for aristotle you see not a christian by the way but very old world for aristotle the point of the greek story it was to create catharsis Suffering is an ancillary for Aristotle. Suffering is necessary to achieve nobility, right? So there's a telos, a purpose to the suffering. There's a reason why they are people that the birds in Ozark take advantage of. Those people exist so they might illumine the beauty of God and the darkness of the birds, of the taking advantage people of the powerful, of the elite, right? That's why they exist. That's why they're taken advantage of, to illumine the beauty. Yin and yang, if you don't like it. Right, for Christians, this is called redemption. It's called resurrection. All things are illumined through the humble, through those who are like Christ. Ha! 
But for the writers of Ozark, catharsis, which Aristotle calls it, for Christians, they call it redemption or resurrection. For the old world, catharsis in, in Ozark, catharsis becomes like a report from the atomistic field of being. Alert, alert. It's like you're watching it and then you get to the end and like, alert, alert. People with power keep power. The end. What? And man, is that a modern day effing nightmare of a message. Because, well, duh. Duh. Who doesn't know that already? See, this is what's really weird. Who doesn't get this concept? I keep waiting for, I don't know, 25-year-old people acting like two-year-olds to stop screaming, power, power. How do you not know this? How do you not know that the father that gave you life through his relationship with your mother, that that father will always be your father? You don't get to be him or her. They have the power to the end, the power of fatherhood. You don't get it. Like, I never got to be my dad. Well, so what? I don't get to be the president. So what? I don't really get it. How can this show take so many years of my life, so many millions of hours? I think it was millions. 100 billion. Andrew, there were millions of hours. How can it? Oh, boy. I don't know the answer. It took a lot of hours, and it was so good, and then it was just so obvious. The only hope for the powerful is that they choose beauty and serve and give up their power. But they don't, and they won't. That's why we pray for them. But not the writers of Ozark. They just get pissed, and they seethe, and they froth at the mouth, and they shake their fist at, I don't know, the rules of the invisible nature called life, the spiritual life, and then they die too. Uh-huh. That's the weird part. Anyway, I always thought watching Ozark when it was over, I thought, if you know crime and punishment, you know at the end, right? Well, there's a comeuppance. Raskolnikov, who's done these murders, is finally found out, almost by chance. And when he's found out, even then he has a way out. He does not have to admit to his guilt, Raskolnikov. He still could get free. And he's got like this new girlfriend. This beautiful, beautiful character, Sonia. He can get out. And he doesn't. Because he goes and confesses. And guess what? It ends with him in jail. I know, you're like, well, that's, uh, that's boring. No, that's reality. And then in jail, he is reminded of the story of Lazarus. And in jail, he becomes free. Which is in alignment with reality. That's how it works. So anyway, I just watched the end of Ozark. I couldn't stop thinking about it. So, I don't know. It just feels like, it just feels like these really, really good storytellers that have spent their life acting and writing and producing, it just feels like when they do a story, when they do this non-material logos fest, because that's what they're doing. They're, and 
they're teaching you through the logos, through the word, through the invisible. They're giving us the story that's not real, is real, slash, is real, not real. And in the end, they should do a better job at revealing the non-material world. That's the job they're in. That's the job they've decided, is I'm going to reveal for you how the laws of the spirit work. Because it's not a real thing. It's all made. They're telling the story so that we might see something not material. But then they just end on the material. And that is the end of today's podcast. <laughs> Who loves you guys? I want to say to everyone out there that this is Watar. Gagi Marjos. You should all come to our restaurant and we can say to you, to you the victory. It's in uh, the town of Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, Watar takes place just around the corner from there. So check us out, www.first-things.org. Check out our restaurant, kprestaurant.org. Check out our KP journeys. We're still willing to take, if you got a crew, if you got four or more people out there that want to go to the Georgian Republic, want to go to Sierra Leone this summer, you want to go to Guatemala, you want to hang around and see our projects in Appalachia, let us know. We'll take you on a KP journey and you'll help us raise money and you'll help us raise awareness. Most of all, though, it is an incredible world out there. So much to be said. I hope this podcast is saying some of the things and some of the things lightly. Little by little, share Watar with a friend. Hit us up with solid reviews on iTunes and everywhere you get your podcast. Please do that. Your love for us allows us to serve others. Nakfamdis, that's Georgian for see you later. Hasta luego. Kambufo, that's Bambara. Right? Au revoir, that's French. There's a lot of other ones. Nawe, that's Haitian Creole. Let's do this thing and let's keep talking. Hasta luego.